How many of you were at any of our prophetic stuff last week? The... Anybody hear from God? Somebody give you a good word? Amen. What a great time. I was writing someone today. I've been getting emails and you know, what, a, what a moment it was. And I said, you know, the real challenge in something like that is we don't just make it a moment, but we make it catalytic for the rest of our lives. And God does not just speak to us once again for the sake of just hearing himself talk or to make us feel good in a moment, but that even as Paul wrote to Timothy, it says, we war a good warfare with the prophecies once made about us. And so I trust that you are taking those words, you've written them down, you're holding them before the Lord, and that you are warring a good warfare, that what God has declared about you, come on, it's going to happen. Yes, you're a wonderful person, but they're going to happen because God said it. It's that simple. Well, tonight I want to continue on knowing God. And over the past couple of weeks, Dr. Stephen Mansfield started a couple of weeks ago and introduced this understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. We've talked about the Father. We've talked about Jesus. But now we're looking at the third person of this Trinity, of this Godhead known as the Holy Spirit. Dr. Mansfield started then last week. Jim LaFoon talked about how we can hear the voice of God. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is a means by which we are hearing from God today. But as I began to unpack and look at, okay, what do I want to do in this third part of this message, I immediately defaulted to looking at pneumatology. Beginning to, and that, that, that's a big word, pneuma, wind, spirit, then the study of. And so the study of the Holy Spirit. And then looking at theologically, how does this work and unpack it? And then I begin to realize it's not going to work. Because I believe that is in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, that oddly enough, I believe we violate so many principles of relationship because of our lack of understanding of the personhood of the third person of God, we almost treat him like some kind of divine ATM machine that we put something in and we get something back out. In other words, he becomes the conduit for gifts, for power, for a word, and could I say to you, that's all true. Yet, when we reduce the third person of God to just a conduit, we have invariably reduced the other two persons of the Godhead exactly the same way. And we don't even realize that we have done it. And we look, we ask this question, how do we, how do we know anybody? And we, we learned that we have to be empowered to know anybody. Someone gives us information about their life and how much they choose to share with us is directly proportional to how intimate we're going to be in that relationship. And we have all different circles of spheres of relationship around our lives. We understand that. It's why in Ephesians 1, it's why Paul wrote, he said, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. And so God has been working overtime 
Whether it's through what he's made through creation, whether it's the revelation of himself through the Holy Spirit, he's been working overtime to make himself known to us. Aren't you glad of that? But the question is, to the extent, if you wish, that God has been vulnerable with us. And that is when you let somebody in to your stuff. You let somebody into your life. And we all have different levels of vulnerability, do we not? Most of the time, those levels of vulnerability are directly connected to some wounding that we've had in the past and we've vulnerable with somebody else and they abused it. Maybe it was in a failed marriage. Maybe it was an apparent relationship. Maybe it was a dear friend that you shared something with them and in their vulnerability, the next thing you know, everybody knew it. And then we begin to slowly but surely, we begin to do what? Just shut down. As a matter of fact, you know what? Been there, done that, not doing it again. And we all have some story. Many of us have many stories like that. Maybe you've been vulnerable with God and you shared something and you really believed that God was going to come and do something in a given time frame or in a way and you got vulnerable with God and all of a sudden, and then God didn't do it. And we don't even know it, but then we begin to withhold ourselves a little bit from God. Well, maybe he's not all that. Or maybe, maybe somehow he's not to be completely trusted like that. More than likely, we're not even aware that we are withholding ourselves from God. This is part of the trap. But if we want intimacy with God, we have to be vulnerable. You can't have it both ways. I mean, we're coming up to a moment, Resurrection Sunday. It doesn't get any more vulnerable than being beaten within an inch of your life, stripped naked, crucified and hung up where everybody can watch you die. You don't get any more vulnerable than that. And yet, that's the picture of what he did for you and for me in this relationship. Because This was the measure of intimacy that he desires to have with each one of us. Not the super gifted, not just the Jim LaFoons, but with each one of us. But it's amazing many times how some of the principles of relationship we think don't really apply to God. Is he wholly other? Absolutely. But yet at the same time, there's some things we need to understand as we begin to step into our relationship specifically with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some of these. I'm going to give you three tonight. The first is the priority of fellowship beyond just relationship. It's the priority of fellowship beyond just relationship. Let me define my terms for a moment. How many of you know that you can have relationship without fellowship? Okay? 
I have a relationship with the guy that works on my car. I have a relationship with my male person. I have a relationship with someone that is taking my money at McDonald's. And maybe it's very temporary. Maybe it's very shallow, but we have entered some type of relationship just in doing commerce. And so we have lots of relationships that we have, but I don't know that I would call that exchanging a Big Mac for a couple of bucks. I don't know that I could confuse that for what? Fellowship. There's a big difference in the two things. You can have relationship without fellowship, but you can't really have fellowship without relationship. It starts with a relationship. How many of you know that you start out in your relationship with God not knowing much about anything except I messed up and don't won't go to hell? I mean, that's pretty much the extent of your revelation at that point. That's about what you know about God. Not unlike that great sermon after Pentecost. We murdered God. How are we going to get out of this? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Now, they didn't know much about what they had done. They had no idea they had just crucified God if there's such a thing. We start out in relationship, but we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how to deepen fellowship out of that relationship. And the reality, many of the same things that we would do with God, we do with one another. Fellowship implies something different and inherently more difficult to achieve. My wife and I have a relationship as a married couple. I've got a piece of paper. I have a license that says we are a husband and wife. I mean, the bank knows that. The IRS knows that because we file a joint return. And so, yeah, we have relationship legally. But that doesn't imply anything about the depth of our fellowship. There are a lot of believers and they think that, well, if they've got relationship, if they've got their fire insurance, so to speak, if they're coming to church and they bump against God a little bit, then let me just tell you, God intended for something way beyond all that. We want the returns of relationship without the investment of fellowship. Or the submission required for fellowship. I use the S word in church. Submission. And we find a picture of this reflected within the Godhead. We see Jesus submitted to the Father. You know these passages. John 5. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. Here we go. Nothing. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. A perfect reflection of what the father's doing. John 12, for I did not speak on my own accord, but the father who sent me commanded me to say what to say and how to say it. There we go. How to say it. I know that his commands lead to eternal life, so whatever I say, it's just what the Father has told me to say. Philippians, the second chapter. Being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, making himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
And being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what we find is a subordinate relationship of Jesus and the Father, but then we find yet another subordinate relationship within the Trinity of the Holy Spirit who is now submitted to Jesus. John, the 16th chapter. Much more to say, more than you can bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He'll bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine, make it known to you. So what we find is this, within the Godhead, what do we find? Perfect, unbroken what? Fellowship. Well, you think, well, sure, it's one person, but this is the mystery. But even within that one person, there is still these subordinated relationships. That's a mirror. It's a picture of something for you and for me. It's one of the reasons that the fellowship within the Godhead is continually perfect. It's unbroken. It's because of the principle of submission and their fellowship never gets broken. You want to be in perfect fellowship with God? Do everything God says. It's real simple. Come on. That's impossible. Yes. It's called sin and sin nature. Because every time that sin nature and sin enters the relationship, what happens? Come on. Fellowship is affected. Would you agree with that? Is our relationship broken? No. Why? You are always going to be a son. Your, your sonship, you being adopted as sons, has nothing to do with your behavior. It has to do that Christ chose you long before he ever did anything else. That's before you ever did anything right and wrong. So the relationship is established. It's been established since eternity. But the fellowship, that's what gets affected when our submission is broken through sin. Hmm. And our fellowship and our relationship with the Holy Spirit is not just to get God to do our bidding. Sometimes we, again, we, we reduce, I believe, the third person of God. Again, just as a conduit. He's not just the holiest of the angels for us to order around. That's not what he is. That's not who he is. And a casual approach to any of the persons of the Trinity is highly inadvisable. And yet I find many times in our evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic world, I, I find at times a dangerous familiarity with the Holy Spirit. We just had a school of prophecy last week. It's marvelous timing, God. People exercising in their gifts and increasing, and it, it was great. But I always step away from a moment like that and wonder, God, Am I taking something for granted here? If these really are the words that's coming off of the throne today that you want me to communicate, have I somehow, am I, am I somehow not 
holding you in the highest place of honor. I mean, we see the Father on the throne, Jesus seated beside him, but somehow we, 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 we can reduce the Holy Spirit to kind of being a minion of the bunch without fully grasping that he is absolutely equal in substance, in righteousness, in holiness as the Father and the Son. Hmm. Submission. But then as inasmuch as I believe is what I'll call a priority of fellowship. There are principles of fellowship and friendship as well. And I believe one reason we often don't have many intimate relationships, even friends around our life, one is that we don't know what these principles are, and second, we don't practice the principles. I don't have many friends. Do you know what it takes to be a friend? I mean, that sounds kind of fundamental, but there are a lot of people, they don't just, they really don't know what the principles are of being a friend. And friendship with God and particularly the Holy Spirit, which is where we are right now, certainly is something to which we can aspire, but there's some principles that we have to practice if we're going to see these things come into fruition in our life. And while not specifically referring to how we relate to the Holy Spirit, let me just look at a couple of men of God and how God himself talks about these guys. Genesis 18, Abraham. Isaiah 41, 18. You, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I've chosen, but you, descendants of Abraham, my friend. Abraham, my friend. We find this story in Genesis, the 18th chapter. And it says, the Lord appears to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. And we'll look at this whole passage for a moment. He's sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And he looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And it says, when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, don't pass your servant by. Let some water be brought. Then you may all wash your feet, rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. They said, fine, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, get three seeds of flour, knead it, bake some bread. He ran to the herd, selected a calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He brought out some curds and milk, the calf that had been prepared, and they ate you ever wondered about just the time frame of all this? I mean, seriously, we got a live animal, and we're going to wind up with barbecue. I mean, there's a few steps in between cutting one from the herd and winding up with a meal. I mean, Sarah's in there. I need you to grind some flour. I mean, I mean we're, we're starting with wheat berries here. So this is not a matter of, you know, punch, punch up 20 minutes on the microwave. This is not a boiling bag right here. I mean, there's a process going on to get this meal on the table. And it says, he set them before them, and while they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where's your wife? They asked him. They're in the tent. Then the Lord said, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will 
your wife will have a son. You see, there's a number of things we can pull out of this story about how do we initiate fellowship with the divine? How do we cooperate with it? Well, first of all, understand that fellowship interrupts. Abraham is kicked back. It's in the middle of the day. It's hot. The last thing he wants to do is get up and move. My wife and I have had the privilege of going to Spain a number of times. And I mean, really, from 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and not, not 4 o'clock, until about 6 o'clock, everything shuts down. Say, well, you know, those Spaniards are lazy. No, they're not. It's just too hot to move. Trust me, there's a reason that they do siesta over there. Also why they don't eat dinner until 11 o'clock at night, but that's a whole nother story. But real friendship interrupts. And many times it's inconvenient. You know what I found about God? He's not nearly as concerned about my sleep as I am. And I think a real question, if we're going to have real fellowship with the divine, are you interruptible? Are you willing to be interrupted by God in the midst of your movie, in the midst of your final, you know, seeing what the glories of Carolina winning this thing this year? I'm sorry. I'm from North Carolina. I just had to have a moment there. It's inconvenient. Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times all times. And you know, it's an amazing thing. We're very happy to interrupt God all the time. We'll bust into whatever God's got doing, got going on, keeping some fool's finger off of the red button, you know, launching their nukes. I mean, whatever he's got to do to keep the universe from slamming into each other, but we're happy to get up there. Oh God, I need, I need, I need, not thinking what else is on his calendar. And so our relationship with God is one of continual interruption. And yet many times God comes and interrupts us and we're like, whoa, wait, can I get some sleep here? Really, I'm in the middle of Gilligan's Island here. Can we wait and see if they're going to get off the island this time? Abraham got interrupted. And then friendship invites. Once we're interrupted, we say, okay, stay with me. Let me prepare something for you. Let me, let, me, let me go out and find the very best of what I have in this moment to make room for you, to let you know that, no, you did not interrupt me. Real friends invite. God invited you. Are you still inviting him? Hmm. Or are you just inviting him whenever you want your bidding done? And then there is involvement. You see, friendship inquires and initiates. After this amazing meal, where's your wife? They got involved at that point. And see, this is something that we really need to ask ourselves in a world where we have multiple communities that we juggle, whether it's from work or school or our neighborhoods, our social media, and we've got all these communities and all these relationships that are about a quarter of an inch deep, are we really involved in anybody's lives? 
But let me ask you a strange question. Are you involved in God's? Now, God's involved in yours because he's invested in yours. God so loved he gave. But have you ever stepped back and just gotten involved in God's day? Think about that for a moment. I mean, we're telling God everything that's going on with us. We're, making our, we're, we're bringing our list to him. But if we ever step back and say, God, what are the things today that are bringing grief to you? Oh, he's God. He never gets sad. Read your Bible. It's one thing to come into the counsel of God. It's another thing to come into fellowship with God. Your needs of the friend. How are you? Now, that may sound like an awfully dumb question to ask God. How are you? But I wonder how many people really care how God is. We want God to care how we are. I mean, you know, it's an amazing thing when your children come up to you and say, Daddy, how are you? Mommy, are you tired? Do you need anything? Do you know the blessing that happens to you as a parent when all of a sudden it gets shifted and your children finally realize they're not the only little people on the planet? And the big people who have been working tirelessly to serve them, that all of a sudden they flip it around and they look at you and say, Can I do anything for you? Oh, my, that is a moment. And if, as a human parent, said some of you, I'm still waiting, all right. (laughs) But as a human parent, if you've experienced that moment, imagine what it might do to the heart of God if we were to ask him, how are you doing? Friendship is then inclusive. It's not exclusive as well. We read on in the story, verses 16 through 33. They begin to look in Sodom and Gomorrah. Beyond just this amazing fellowship moment, God coming and opening Sarah's womb begins to consider Abraham beginning to inquire of God for the sake of 50, for the sake of 10, for the sake of. Real fellowship will always never be us four no more. Those knuckle-headed disciples up on that mountain, this good that I'm here, let's pitch a tent and stay here forever. Uh Uh-uh. You can go up on the mountain, but God always intends for you to come back down. Real fellowship will always continually be making its circle bigger. Aren't you glad God made his circle bigger than the three of himself? Amen? Aren't we glad that this kingdom is steadily advancing? And could I commit to you or submit to you that that's not just about campus ministry and church planting and social responsibility and world missions. It's about God making his family bigger. It's about the circle getting bigger. It's about God's heart being enlarged enough to include everyone that he wants that he's included in this Lamb's book of life. Everything else is a means to that end. It's to bring those outside of fellowship into fellowship with God. That's what this is about. The principles. Moses, a friend of God, says he used to take a tent, pitch it outside the camp, Exodus 33. Tent of meeting, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent. Cloud would come. You remember this story. Moses would enter. Everybody else would be standing at their tent kind of peeking out, waiting for the cloud to come down, wondering, what did he talk about in there? 
Any of the rest of us go in, we die. Wonder what, wonder what Moses and God are talking about tonight. It says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. You see, some of us, we're talking about the principles of fellowship and friendship. First of all, he made a place. What does it say? He pitched a tent. I preached a message Sunday about making a place. And sometimes we never know in the place that we make for God. Maybe all you have is, all you can do is pitch a tent. That's all right. But Moses deliberately made a place for God to come and meet with him. The other thing about that tent is that it was portable. The Holy Spirit, portable God. Aren't you glad God doesn't just reside in one spot? Doesn't just reside in a box? Doesn't just reside in a temple? Doesn't just, is not just resident with a handful of prophets or priests? Aren't you glad that God has made you that priesthood now? Aren't you glad that God has taken the very third person of himself and made himself portable that he can go with you? But inasmuch as God is in you, guess what? You've got to bring God as well. Portable. And then there's purpose. And that purpose is fellowship. The cloud coming down to meet with Moses. And the product is intimacy. Face to face. The original language there says breath to breath. And then the presence is manifested. And I'll add one more. There's something that happens when we come into fellowship. There's an element of protection that happens as well. Oh, yes, there are weapons of our warfare, and we know that there are angels that are dispatched in all of this. But, you know, there's something about friendship, fellowship. It's like, wait a minute. You're talking about my buddy here. And if you're talking about him, you're talking about me. And we're going to have to mix it up now. Numbers, the 12th chapter. Moses' own family. Miriam and Aaron, brother, sister. They begin to have a little chat about Moses. He'd married a black woman. (laughs) Then have a chat about his chosen spouse. Like, oh no, we don't do that here. And then they begin to move on and begin not just now to talk about Moses' wife, begin to talk about Moses' God. And that's when it gets really interesting. God only spoken through Moses, hasn't he spoken through us? Miriam's a prophet. Scripture calls her one. Says the Lord heard this. Says now Moses was a very humble man, more than anyone else on the face of the earth. I'm not sure I'd ever write that about myself, but we'll move on. 
And it says, at once. God, God, didn't, God didn't wait. God threw down right now. I mean, it came off of their lips, and God, it says, at once. God said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Kind of like what Mama said, and bring a switch. And three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and he stood at the entrance and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And they stepped forward and they said, listen, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions and dreams. It's not true, Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles, for he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? See, when we understand fellowship, we understand, you know what? (laughs) God's not just for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? But it's not just that God is for me. It's that God will step up and step out and say, wait a minute. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa, have you considered my servant, Sean? You're running your mouth against him? You may as well be talking about me. It says the anger of the Lord burned against him and he left him. And when the cloud lifted, Miriam was leprous like snow. It's amazing. And Moses began to cry out. Please, my Lord, don't hold this sin. We've so foolish. Don't, don't hold it against us. Don't let her be like a stillborn infant coming from the mother's womb with his flesh half eaten away. God, please heal her, says the Lord replied to Moses. See, God was protecting Moses in this moment. But you see, this, this is, you know how brothers and sisters can get. I mean, don't you think in just maybe it was just for a moment Moses is like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you see what happens? See what you get you got you got what was coming to you, girlfriend. But you see, real fellowship is not just a matter of that which God is doing in and for us. Moses was heartbroken at what had happened to his sister. And immediately begin to intercede on her behalf. You see, this is part of how fellowship works. This is how friendship works. Is that we don't ever entertain an accusation against another brother or sister. Because you talk about me or talk about I me. Mean, come on. We're one. And God will step up in a moment like this. Moses protecting his sister. Powerful. But these are all principles of friendship. Cyberbullying right now. I mean, let's talk about that. Tragic. I mean, these, you know, precious young people are just out there and they just, you know, it used to be you had the mean girls, remember? I mean, guys, guys were cool. Guys would just get it over with. I mean, we would just arrange something and meet behind the gym. And this was before everybody was packing. But I'm talking about back in the day when there were still, still rules of engagement. 
And Pastor Sean, we didn't even throw a punch. We just kind of grabbed each other and rolled around in the dirt for a moment, called it a fight, and then we would go off and be like, are we cool? We're cool. That was it. Girls are different. Ladies, I got to tell you, you got this whole psychological warfare thing going on. You know, who's in, who's in the group today? Who's not in the group tomorrow? I mean, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. But you see, the principles of friendship don't allow that to happen. There's no environment where gossip can happen. There's no environment where accusations can come forth and it not be dealt with. Said, Pastor Jim, what does this got to do with the Holy Spirit? Everything. Everything. These are just these, these are principles of relationship, just mono a mono, but these are principles of relationship God intends for us to have with Him as well. We want God to come down to us and be all big and bad and run everything off in the middle of the night. But the question is: when somebody begins to talk about God, are we like, uh-uh, don't do it? Yeah, but God, don't do it. It's one thing for you to be ignorant. Don't talk about God like that. So, well, God doesn't need to be defended. I know he doesn't, but he sure likes it. I'm not going to let somebody talk about my wife. I mean, you might, you, you might take me, but I'm going to sucker punch you one time. I'm going to get in one. I'm going to get in one anyway. Hopefully that one will count. Don't talk about Pastor Duke other than the fact that he's old. But, but here's the thing about it. It's a term of endearment with me. With you, it's just mean. All right, moving on. And let me give you the last one. The parameters of divine friendship. In true friendship, we don't solely dictate how the other party is to function. Think about that. There's some knuckle-headed men out there that think that somehow when Ephesians was talking about authority and submission, it was somehow a blank check for how a man was supposed to just, woman! No, that's not what it was at all. They're parameters of divine relationship that God has given us. God's first encounter with Moses, he kind of set the tone. Um, take your shoes off. Now, you're on holy ground. Don't approach me ever again irreverently. And our familiarity with God, particularly with the Holy Spirit, we must never lose this fear based out of reverence. Hear me. Please hear me. It's the Holy Spirit, God, who ultimately determines what this relationship will look like. Not us. You know, it's amazing I spent so much of my Christian life thinking I had God figured out. Thinking that somehow God was... Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, decree it. Come on, God. I'm just repeating your words. 
Somehow I call that faith. God just called it arrogance. Hmm. Because when you tell the Holy Spirit, this is how you have to do it. Come on. This is how you have to heal. This is, how you, this is how you have to get somebody set free. This is how you have to move in this situation to get this person out of this financial jam. This is what you have to do in this marriage. God says, you don't understand. I don't got to do nothing. I may want to approach this in an entirely different way. I may want to use the skilled hands of a surgeon. I might want to use a marriage counselor. Say, Whoa. And we would never go and say to the Father, we would never do that. Father, we wouldn't do it to Jesus. The second person, Jesus. But somehow there is a contempt of familiarity that we will try with the Holy Spirit. Hear me? That we would never dream of doing to the other two parts of the Godhead. But we'll do it with the Holy Spirit. And saints, hear me. And I know this is kind of a heavy-duty word here tonight. But God is the one that sets those parameters whereby which we can have personal intimacy. And out of that intimacy is power then that he shares. You know one of the most dangerous folk on the planet is a person that has a little bit of the power of God without the intimacy of God. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, the gifts and calling of God are given without repentance. And the sons of Sceva had it going on for a moment. But they didn't have any fellowship. They didn't even have any relationship. But they had, they had ministry. Folk were showing up. They had reputation. Something was going on. And yet for you and me tonight, the Holy Spirit, Vulnerability, intimacy, fellowship. Not just a conduit to get our will done. To speak a word of prophecy or see somebody healed. To manifest a spiritual gift. But the same principles of fellowship, friendship that we have with the Father, with Daddy, with the Savior, Jesus. Those same principles apply to the Holy Spirit as well. And let's move our relationship to the Holy Spirit back to that place of reverential fear. I'm not talking about fear, fear that shuts us down. But I'm talking about the reverential fear of I brought you into this world, I can take you out. That kind of fear. Pray with me. Lord, tonight, God, help us. God, we see two of your champions Abraham and Moses as examples of what this relationship needs to look like. And God, we inquire of ourselves tonight as to whether or not we're really interruptible. As you initiate relationship with us, many times it seems to be inconvenient. But God, let us be men and women that are continually inviting you, not waiting to be invited, not waiting to be moved upon, 
but that God, we invite you. Involvement. That God, rather than us just constantly asking you to come get involved in our stuff, that we would step back for a moment and get involved in yours. What are you saying? What are you doing? What are you seeing? What's on your heart today? The real nature and character of what friendship and fellowship really is about. And Lord, all of this that produces intimacy. God, let us not just be men and women that are chasing God, the byproduct of this intimacy, which is power. But God, if the power never comes, the relationship and the fellowship will have been enough. If the answer never comes, being with you is yet still enough. We sing songs about it, but God, let the reality of it be the heartbeat of our lives. So, Lord, we invite you afresh. Pastor, come on up. We invite you afresh tonight. And that's how we're going to pray here for the next few moments. Pastor Sean's going to lead you in that, of how we can freshly invite the Holy Spirit to come divinely interrupt us in fellowship with us. Amen, church.